It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. Yeah. And I can lead the way. Hey there. Welcome to the first episode of Time Out with Ty, the less official podcast of Behind the Buck Pass. This one's a little different than our normal one in six pod because it's just me sitting down with one other person. Uh, this week joining me is site editor-in-chief. Still still keeps the title, even though there's another editor on the site now. Adam McGee. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, Ty. Um, yeah, I keep the title. I've, I have no problem. I have no issue with coming down to the lesser podcast. Um, yeah. Thanks for gracing. I'll, I'll give the people what they want. That's what you got to do on this podcast. That's the first and only rule. This week we're going to talk Bucks. We're going to talk Adams Hawks because he did last week on the normal podcast. Anyway, we just do that now, and uh, probably some other stuff. This one's going to be probably a little less Bucks oriented, which is saying something considering the other pod last week. We just started talking about the Western Conference at one point for pretty much no reason. But let's talk. Let's talk Bucks. Let's let's go. How do you feel about Giannis right now? Uh, I guess that I'm. It's probably just me and the way I am anyway. But I'm not quite as sort of caught up in the whole Giannis fever that everyone else is. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of what he's been doing has been incredible, but I still see a lot of the same flaws in his game. I mean, it was never a question that he was going to get to this point or get to the point, I guess, where he's really going to end up, which is something more than, than what we're seeing already so far this season. So I'm I'm surprised we were seeing flashes of it so early, but then against Brooklyn on Saturday night and then against Boston on Tuesday night, it was a bit of a sort of, bit of a coming back down to earth for, for everyone. I mean, he, he was still good. He was scoring more than he would have been last season, but it didn't feel like the dominant Giannis that people were sort of so hyped up for it to start off the year. Yeah, definitely. It seems like he had those run of what it was like four or five games where he was just on top of the world and he was scoring like 20 points a game on like 50, 45 shooting or something nuts like that. And since then, I think it got to him a bit. And like, especially in the last two games, especially in the, in the Celtics game uh, last night, but he was just trying to do too much a lot of the time out there. I mean, he picked up three fouls in the first, uh, like, 20 minutes. Two of them were offensive, and those are just sloppy charges. And you'll just see a lot of turnovers and just misses because he'll just drive into two guys when there's someone clearly open. And it's like, yeah. to be honest, you can't do that. Not yet. Not ever. Yeah, I mean, with the fouls, it was even less than that because it was – I think he came out with about five minutes left in the first quarter with two, and then – as everybody knows, because the game got away from the books, I mean, it was about eight minutes left in the second when he came back in, and it was only about 90 seconds, if even that, he lasted before the third fell. Yeah. So, like, that's that played a big part. It wasn't decisive. Um, I no. think kids' rotations were, were the real sort of criminal flaw for the books last night, amongst other things, but I think that was the biggest issue, was how long it took him to get... Obviously, Yanis is restricted, but the rest of his starters back in when things were going wrong. But definitely, not having Yanis out there had an impact. Um, it just as someone to look to, 
when I suppose Greg Monroe got going really early, he had a great night, but when you compare his first quarter to the rest of the game, it wasn't quite the same. And you'd have to wonder if part of that was because the Celtics didn't really have to pay attention to Giannis quite as much as they could have because he was sitting on the bench with foul trouble. That's definitely I, I noted that too in my post game that Greg Monroe, like his first half it was like fourteen point or sixteen or fourteen points, twelve rebounds, and he ended with like two more of each after the second half. It's like, well, I mean, it's still a good game line. You know, 16-14, you can't really complain. But when it's 14-12 in the first half, clearly he's not helping out that much in the second. Yeah, like, I mean, for me with Giannis, I'm not, I'm not really interested in any individual aspect of his play. It's, it's all, like, we know the, the natural ability he has, and we know the physical skills he has. It's about his mentality, and that's what will, will make him either sort of a slightly above average role player or could make him an absolute superstar. And I don't know, it's just right now, it's the word for me always with Giannis, and I can't write anything about him without focusing in on it. I can't talk about Giannis without it being the the word that comes to the forefront of my mind, and that's control. And I just think he lacks control most of the time, and that's, at the moment, it's perfectly excusable because you can put it down to maturity, and I don't think anyone puts Giannis down as the most mature player um, in the NBA, if, if even on the books. But it's just about, I guess, figuring himself out and knowing his own game and his own limitations. And this is, I mean, at this level, this is key for all NBA players because they've all obviously got a certain a certain talent level. Some guys obviously have more than others, but they're good enough to get here. And then it's about them making the most out of their opportunity or maximizing their own skills and potential. And for Giannis, I think all that comes in the mental side of his game. And that's that's the part that, for me, I guess it keeps me on an even keel because when I look at Giannis, and it's very easy to look at him and say, well, he does this so well that he could be like this player. Like, I mean, he could be like Anthony Davis in this way. He could be like LeBron or, or Kevin Durant in this way. But the thing that stops me from being able to see him fully realized as that sort of player right now is I've had no real... I had no real display of his mentality being at that point. He has brief flashes, very brief, even in games where he's playing really well. You just don't get that vibe from him. And there's something that separates those really, really good NBA players to those elite-level superstars that define franchises. And that's for me, for Giannis, I mean, there's no knock on his ability or how he's playing now or how good he, he will be. I don't even want to say can be because he will be really good. It's just about if he's going to become what everyone hopes that he might be, it's it's going to be figuring out his own game, figuring out what goes on upstairs in between the years. Yeah, I feel like one thing you said is just the, the maturity and the decision-making. I feel like that's LeBron's real strong suit, and obviously it's it's dumb to say it real. I mean, he's like pretty much genetically the ideal basketball player. But both on and off the court, for the entire time LeBron's been famous, which has been since he's, what, like 16? Aside from the decision, which was not the best, but it wasn't terrible, he doesn't really make the wrong move that often. Both, like, he doesn't, he, he makes the right pass. He shoots when he needs to shoot. His decision making is just on point, and that's why he has two rings right now. That's what we need to see from Giannis. Yeah, but I mean, that's just, like, that sort of thing. It's a yardstick for greatness in all sports, and it's what, that's what makes champions. That's why. Like that's the, I, I always find the best example of that was Tiger Woods when Tiger Woods was in a world of his own 
in, in terms of golf. I mean, there was there was nobody who could take the pressure that he would apply or was as resilient as him under pressure so that no matter what, he would perform to his best. There was other players who maybe they could have outperformed and they might have better short games, better long games. It didn't matter that Woods didn't hit the fairway a lot of the time because mentally he believed that no matter what he had to do to win, he was able to do it. And that's what translates to guys like LeBron. I mean, the greats are they're just as much about their mentality and what pushes them to that extra level. As much as I dislike Kobe Bryant, as regular <laughs> listeners of our other podcasts will know, there's something about Kobe which allowed him to be great. And that's his... I guess it's his his never ending belief. I mean yeah, it's confidence. It's, just, it's it's confidence, but it's also it's like a it's like there's this sort of level of tranquility he gets to when he's performing. Because yeah. he doesn't need to get himself worked up about the smaller details of his game because he, he knows everything he can do. He knows if he's having a bad game, it's still there and he can draw upon it when it matters most. And that's the sort of thing obviously when skill and talent levels decline like we're seeing with Kobe now it can become a guy's downfall but on the way to the top it's essential to be one of the really sort of best in your field yeah yeah it's I don't know how he's going through the Lakers right now nothing about the Lakers makes sense because their last game D'Angelo Russell didn't play clutch time which was a big talked about thing on Twitter and everywhere and Kobe Bryant didn't play either so if you're not going to play Kobe, and well, Kobe, Kobe, play, what's the Kobe point? wasn't even active. I mean, they they sacked yeah. Kobe from the start, which yeah. everyone like I the mean, day was all full of one of the last meetings between D Wade and Kobe, and then he he was rested. Yeah. But I mean, the thing I have with the D'Angelo Russell thing, there's lots of really bad things Byron Scott did. I know the first half of that game anyway. Nick Young was playing really well. And well, I didn't even I didn't catch any of it at see, all. Nick Young was like he was like five for seven from the field at one point. He was playing really, really well. So I sort of a massive fuss has been made out of that because people are just like, oh, the Lakers are bad. They need to be just breeding the young players. But I mean, most good teams don't do that early in the season. And at the same same token, I mean, it's early enough that the Lakers they want to try and win. I mean, that comes later in the season where you go, okay, well, let's just give the, the young guys a runner. That comes if you're on a good team that you know you're going to get other wins. But they were in position to win that game for quite a while. So I sort of understand why they'd give a slightly more experienced guy who was playing well, they'd give him the run rather than D'Angelo Russell, who, let's be honest, has been completely underwhelming. I mean, he hasn't really done anything to catch anyone's attention since his NBA career has kicked off. I saw on Twitter the other day, I think it was you and Jordan, and you said it was the wrong pick then, the wrong pick now. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't necessarily disagree. I think D'Angelo Russell, just how flashy he is, he's a good fit for L.A. Would you have had them take Porzingis? No, I, I was taking Jaleel Okafor. Without a doubt, I was oh, taking Okafor. Yeah, of course, there too. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. At, at, at the same time, Ty, I nearly think Porzingis is a better fit. I mean... If it's me, if I'm a GM and I've got a high pick in a draft, and if there's high-quality big men there, I'm taking the big man. Because yeah. I still, people, it's easy for people to say that's not what matters in the NBA because we watch Steph Curry be absolutely crazy and yeah. on a nightly basis. But it's still like when you look at young guys who can come in and dominate straight away, like look at what Carl Anthony Towns is doing. 
look what Anthony Davis did from the second he stepped foot in the league. It still always will be a league where a big man can come in and dominate because they're more evolved, I guess, in a physical sense, or they're more ready to compete against men that it's just a little bit easier. I mean, the physicality of it is maybe easier to match up with than the scale on some levels. So I saw something myself on Twitter. I can't remember who tweeted it, but there was some stat about, I guess, the success rate of high draft picks that have been guards and forwards in recent years compared to centers. I mean, really big guys. I mean, you don't even have to look at anything. If you stop and think about it, it's like, how many guards have come into the NBA in recent years and really made an impact? I don't even know if I can pull up one who actually came in really, really just playing well throughout and actually added wins. I don't know. The strongest guard in the last, we'll say if we're talking the last three or four years, one that I could think of as in the strongest rookie season was actually Michael Carter-Williams. Him or uh, Oladipo? Yeah. Oladipo, though, is the guy because he's like into moving on from that and in the time since he's kicking on further again. Like yeah. I think Oladipo is the best guard to come into the league in recent years. Yeah. yeah he's almost, I think he's almost funny, underrated. Th- this is the funny thing though, because we've got this like golden generation of point guards. Yeah. Where are the point guards going to come from when they're gone? <laughs> because right now there isn't a whole lot of them, or maybe there is, and it's just a slower development process for guards in the NBA. I mean, that's, that's the thing that, that has to be figured out. But at the same time, a franchise like the Lakers, if they're looking to turn around and win, they don't and their fans don't have any lesser expectation for D'Angelo Russell because he's a guard than the Sixers have for Jaleel Okafor. And at the moment, it's night and day just in terms of how they're performing and how they're impacting their teams. The other reason that now in retrospect, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, they already had Jordan Clarkson, who was a promising rookie guard. Who was, I, I want to say, first team all rookie that year? Yeah, I think if, he was. But like, not, he, he should have been. Well, he's a perfect example. He was a guard who actually came in and hit the ground running, and he did it against expectations. Yeah, he was undrafted? Um, I don't no, know. No. I think he's a second round pick. Langston Galloway uh, might have been undrafted. Langston Galloway was undrafted. And he's, again, he's, I don't know why he's not starting on his team. Those guys should both be starting on their garbage. Well, it, look, that's. That's the thing. It's it's maybe there's just so much pressure on a point guard in the NBA. Or maybe it is. It's the strength of the matchups. I mean, when you're going night to night and you're coming up against these absolute killer guards. That's true. It's pretty easy maybe to get down yourself or for them to look bad or for the coach to maybe be a little bit harsh when really it's the quality of the competition right now in the NBA. I don't know. It's It's probably just harder to adjust, even in terms of maybe going from from college guards to NBA guards, I mean, more than any other position, just, there's not the same pace, there's not the same urgency. The shot clock is a, is a factor for everyone in college. But more than anyone else, it's the point guard. That's the person who has to initiate the offense. So they're the players who it should be a tougher adjustment. And I think that's shown in recent years. Are we going to see NBA basketball slow down in five years? Like the pace on court? Just I'm just this is something I just thought of. But right now, like your top five list is probably mostly perimeter players. Steph, James Harden, LeBron. Right now it seems like the young great talent in the NBA is big guys. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Julia Okafor. I feel like if the like right now, there's not that many centers and 
Demarcus Cousins is a bit younger too. We'll probably get to the Kings later, just because it's that's terrible. But do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, I feel like I mean, I, feel I don't like know if dictates more than a lot of people think about. I don't know if it gets slower, but there'll be a change in dynamic, absolutely. Like, I mean, Andre like, Drummond is another guy. Yeah, well, I think the difference, and Drummond is one of the exceptions to that, but the difference is now these guys, even with their size, they're coming into the league and they're being developed to shoot the tree ball or to shoot long twos. So you don't end up with that same traditional big man feel. So that doesn't necessarily kill kill space. It doesn't kill pace either. I mean, yeah. you could see that your point guards, at the moment the point guards are the most skilled players in the league. Maybe by four or five years from now, that's not that's not necessarily the way. I'm actually I'm working on a piece on Tyler Ennis at the moment, um, which by the time this this podcast posts will probably be live. But part of what is interesting about his starts for the books, I think anyone watching has felt he's made the books better in recent games, uh, even though his plus minus has actually been exactly zero for his three starts. Yeah, I wrote that yesterday. It doesn't seem like he, like I don't think he's a negative, but I don't know if he's a positive. But I see, I think here's the thing. I mean, if you think of, uh, he's a guy we've talked about a lot, and I know both of us really like, Patrick Beverly is like the perfect example of this for me, where he's a guy who, he's a good shooter, he's not a great shooter, he's a great defender, that's that's the one thing he definitely yeah. has in Arsenal. But otherwise you'd go, he's not fast enough, he's undersized. I mean, he has all these things that shouldn't really work, he doesn't do enough. I mean, there could be nights where you look at the box score and he might have, six points, four or five assists, maybe a couple of steals, and you're like, that's not good enough for a team to win a title. The thing is, maybe it is, because when you've got these teams packed with high-usage players or packed with playmakers at all all five positions, sometimes there's a need for a guy to step back and just let everyone else get to work, and that's what can make a great team. And this could prove to be a trick that some of the other teams in the NBA are missing out on, is you don't need five guys. You, could, you can have four guys who are exceptionally talented and one guy who is just a smart facilitator who will do what's best for the team and will do what's best to let those guys play their own natural games. And that could be the sort of player, particularly at the point guard spot, that becomes a lot more prevalent down the line in the NBA. I mean, it could be that, yeah, you have teams with... Say, for example, someone like Chris Middleton is a good example of this as well, where Chris Middleton is... I guess in many ways he's a small forward. I did a, a Q&A with Jared Johnson of No Glove today, and a point he made with the books was when you look at the books, you've got three real superstars potentially in Middleton, Yanis, and Jabari, but all three of them could probably end up playing the small forward if they're on different teams. Yeah. And my response to that was I don't see that, and maybe that's just because I'm so close to the book situation. But when I look at Middleton now, I see the modern NBA too, where he might not necessarily be, he might not be quite as much of a playmaker as some other guys, but he'll go and get the rebounds, he'll do everything else. And there's this sort of, this way that more guys can do more, you're not looking at a center and a power forward just to do your rebounding, and just a point guard and a shooting guard maybe to, to do your playmaking in terms of assists and scoring between, say, your shooting guard and your wing. It's not like that anymore. That's why, like, say, for example, in Boston, Greg Monroe has four assists. There's more playing by committee, and role players will become even more important than that. I know we'll get to the Hawks later, 
the Hawks, though, are very much the perfect example of that sort of model because that's what the Mari Carroll was last year. That's what Kyle Corver is. Kyle Corver may be one of the best role players in the NBA, but he is a role player all the same. The guys who can create their own shot, can do really whatever they want in that team are Teague, Millsap, and Horford. But by sort of plugging in just the right type of guys who would do what's right for them, for Corver, that would mean some nights he'd get no shots, but he'd run around every screen. He'd, he'd just offer the threat that gave more space for those guys. For Damari, that was shutting down defensively on guys, just offering effort. I mean, just hustle and effort was guaranteed from him. That takes maybe a little bit of the workload away from those guys. But as a unit, that amounted to something more. And I think that's an idea that in the NBA is going to become maybe more prevalent. And that could be, I don't think you'll see pace slowed down. If when this crop of point guards comes towards the end of their run, though, and if it is a big man's league in terms of the real talent, well, that's where you'll see maybe a slight change in how teams approach the game. It'll be more of, well, everybody can do a bit of something. It just won't be as, I guess, centered or focused on a traditional point guard, bringing the ball up and starting the offense. Oh, actually, I was thinking about bringing it to Hawks pretty soon. Let's just talk Hawks. A lot of good things about this team. I think they're, what, 7-2? and 7-2, two? Seven and two, yeah. 7-2. and 7-2 and two at, our, at our time of recording. Yeah, 7-2 and two on, what is today, Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, Central Time, early Thursday morning, Ireland time. Or no, 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 it's we're, still, we're we're earlier than that. I'm still Wednesday night. We're still Wednesday night. Okay, it's it's Wednesday sometime, everywhere. Where's Tim Hardaway Jr.? Um, not in the rotation. Is that surprising to you? Um, because that was that was the trade, it right? Is, that it got is him. Surprising. That was the trade, but I mean, it's a real. It's a real Hawks thing to do. I mean, they're not going to bring, if he has like the habits that he maybe developed at the Knicks, they're not going to bring him over and plug him straight in. I mean, the guy getting his minutes right now is Lamar Patterson, who was the second round draft pick the year before last. Patterson went and he played in, I'm pretty sure it was Turkey, if I remember correctly, last year. Um, but he, he played in Turkey and had Hawks people come over regularly to work at him. It wasn't even expected that he'd make it through training camp, but he did. They chose him. He made the team. And to be fair, he's played okay in, in the NBA since he's got in. But part of that is just that's a guy they trust. That's a guy they feel. He's been in summer league with them twice. They've been in close contact with him when he's developed his game elsewhere. And they know he knows what they're about and can give them what they want. So he's getting the minutes right now. I've no doubt that Hardaway will get minutes as the season goes on. The other thing that's definitely impacting that is one, Tavo Cephalosha has come back pretty strong. But secondly, Kent Bazemore has been phenomenal. I mean, to talk about both of those guys, and everyone was so worried about the Damari Carroll role, both of them could play defense. And right now, through, I think of both of them, nine games for Bazemore, six for Cephalosha. Uh, Bazemore shooting 50% from three-point range on 3.6 attempts a game. And Cephalosha is shooting 57.1 from deep on 1.2 attempts a game. Yeah, so they're, they're pretty covered at small field. I mean, now is not the time to just throw Tim Hardaway in there for the sake of they spent the pick, they need to use him. And I don't know, that that pick was, I mean, Bucks fans, was, was talk, about, Bucks fans talk about the way the Clippers pick was given up for Vasquez. The Hawks one was much more surprising. Was that, was that why do I think that was the Rondé Hollis Jefferson pick? I don't think it was. 
Um, it was the Hawks. The Hawks had the 15th pick. So Did that end up being Rondell Jefferson. Why do I no? No, Rondell Jefferson didn't go till later. Um, I mean, 15 was obviously you had guys like Vaughn. You had R.J. Hunter might have been. No, actually, was that Terry Rosier was the was the oh. 14th or. The Bucks had what seventeen or sixteen? Bucks had seventeen. I can't remember right? this draft at all. It was seventeen. So obviously Vaughn was there. Bobby Portis was still there. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think they're going to regret it. Cause I think they're going to be really, really good anyway. It was Kelly Oubre. How did I forget? Oh, Kelly Oubre okay. Briefly got his picture taken with the Hawks hat. Huh. So I mean, guys, Oubre. guys. You say you don't regret it, but guys, you went after. I mean, you've got Rashad Vaughn. Justin Anderson, who I quite liked his fit. Rondé Hollers Jefferson was a guy who I liked also. And then, of course, famously, as you won't have forgotten, Bobby Portis also went later. The thing with that is the Hawks didn't need Bobby Portis. No, they, they definitely uh, wouldn't have drafted Bobby Portis. I mean, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder did the Hawks know how hard the Spurs were going to go at it at LaMarcus Aldridge? And if they had a sense that, Tiago Splitter might have been there down the line because I guess there was a scenario where they could have been interested in Bobby Portis. Yeah. But with the way things transpired, it would have made no sense. Um, but then even with Wings, I mean, I'm guessing they had enough confidence in Baysmore and Cephalosha returning from injury. They knew they had Lamar Patterson there somewhere if they wanted him too. Yeah. Hardware Jr. is a nice player. I mean, he's shown bits of potential. He can create for himself. I think he should be able to become a good defender. All that's going to take time, though. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he cracks this. This is a. This is a team looking for a championship. This is a legitimate title contender. You don't just throw a guy in the rotation just because you think you should. I don't think you'll see much of him if there's no injury. Yeah, unless, like I unless mean, they're resting guys. Maybe if they rest guys. If he I goes mean, full, the Hawks generally play a pretty deep rotation. Like. Bud likes to he likes to go say ten deep very quickly, where some coaches won't do complete sort of unit swaps in the first quarter. Bud will do that and then you'll get some of the other guys will get some time as, as the game goes on. I mean I could see by the time the playoffs come around, I could see Tim Hartway Jr. coming in and playing a bit of time. I'd put him very much in a sort of I guess what the Mike Scott role was towards the end of last season though, is like He'll be an instant offense threat. He'll be someone they put out there. But in the same way that Scott was maybe... He was overtaken by a second-round pick as well, really, in Mascala, just in terms of Mike yeah. Mascala's functionality and just the way that he understood and could work in the system. I could see something similar happening in terms of that's really Lamar Patterson. That's why he'd be favored over Tim Hardaway Jr. overall. Yeah. I want to talk trades in just a minute. But uh, let's let's do our ad right away. Adam, don't you hate when there's no witty tweets on your timeline? Don't you hate that? I'll flip uh, you. I... Yeah, you can answer that. I'm asking uh, you. I'm to reply there. Yeah, don't you hate that? We'll we finish the ad and we'll see. Okay. I'll flip through my timeline and all I see is the million hashtags from our other podcast or pictures of food or season predictions. What if there was an account with witty, Irish-flavored tweets and vines? 
Well, now there is. At Adam McGee 11 is the next big Twitter account to follow for tweets, vines, maybe even retweets of my own tweets if I play my cards right. Be sure to check out at Adam McGee 11 with promo hashtag TWT. Get yourself a free favorite. That was just a quick word from my sponsor. There's no guarantees that a hashtag will get favorites. No one said the favorite would come from your account. Uh, okay. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll do the favorites if I have to. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing favorites. Yeah, that's um, fine. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about that. Let's talk trades. That's just our sponsor. Let's talk trades. We had to get our sponsor message out of the way. Let's talk trades. What's the most likely player to be traded this season? I don't think they make a trade. I mean, NBA. Oh, okay, I thought we were talking Hawks still. No, um, just all, all NBA, just trades in general. Is it is it Carmelo Anthony or is it DeMarcus Cousins? I think it's DeMarcus Cousins. Did it you did ha- you see? I just saw snippets of this story. Did you see what happened after the Spurs game? I did. I don't know. I don't know how much of it to take with a pinch of salt or how much to take literally and really believe it. I, I mean, I, th- I, think, I, I think, in, he, I think, go on. Apparently he, he cursed out George Carl in the locker room right after the game in front of all the teammates. And this was the part I loved. I saw that, report I read. It's, it's described and, as like Carl, like turns around and like with his tail leaves. between his legs, just sort of slinks yeah. off. I mean, I don't, I don't see that. That that doesn't seem right. Like that descriptive side of it is where I have problems because quotes, yeah, I'm okay with. But it's when description like that comes into it, it may not necessarily be completely accurate. And that's not to well, say that part, that's not to say that the, the part, that the information that the reporter has got isn't accurate. It's just who are they trusting that's telling the story? And that with the Kings yeah. at the moment. There's a lot of snakes in those grass, in the grass over there in Sacramento. So, I mean, you've got to be careful who you trust. My favorite part is after that part and is talking about how Boogie felt remorseful after that. And he went to his teammates and he was like, should I have not done that? And it's literally in quotes. They said, you probably shouldn't curse out the head coach in front of all the players. Like, did he not know that? Did, did no one, like, they were so busy just tr- trying to treat him well and be good to Boogie that, no one's ever told him, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't cuss out the head coach in front of all the players. Generally. I mean, do you do you think Boogie went remorseful to his teammates to ask them if they thought he should do that or shouldn't do that? I think he's probably one of the more emotionally just out there emotional players. It's possible. I'm not buying that, though, because, I mean, I think he's – that's his team, and he knows it's his team, and – They've started the season terribly. If things aren't going how they want, then he wants to call people out. I think he's going to go and do it, particularly with the summer he had with all the other stuff. I mean, I don't I don't think he's going to go and go, oh, by the way, Rudy Gay, Omri Caspi, <laughs> do you think that was the wrong thing oh, for me to do? I, I, need, I, need your, I need your approval that I didn't just do the wrong thing there to the coach who may <laughs> or may not want to trade me. I mean, it all just sounds a to little be- bit contrived to me. To be fair, him and Omri Caspi are best friends. That is a real thing. But I can't see him going up to, like, 
Rudy Gay. Yeah. Rudy, did I do the right thing? Rudy Gay, I've been traded from every good team I've ever been on. Did I do hey, the right thing? Hey, Rajon Rondo, what would you have done in that situation? I mean, there's just there's a lot of spin coming from one way or another. I'm struggling to buy it. Well, I do I do believe that it's an absolute mess. Um, I personally, yeah, I, I think I see. I seen it's been reported that Carl could be gone within the week. I think Boogie goes yeah. before Carl still. I think they'll make such a mess of it that they'll trade Boogie and then they'll fire Carl as well. So I was going to say. It's like they've achieved the, absolutely nothing then. They can get the trifecta. They can fire Vlade, fire George Carl, and trade Boogie and have literally nothing left. There's nothing else redeeming about that team anymore. If those – really two. I mean, Vlade is not irreplaceable. But, I mean, George Carl is at base a very good head coach. He won a whole lot of games. I mean, look, Bucks fans listening to this primarily, obviously, I understand Bucks fans' feelings about George Carl, but George Carl has proven himself to be a good coach. Maybe not a great coach, as in if you want to go and win a championship, or maybe the longer he's there, generally, this is obviously a short spell, but the longer he's there, it doesn't always necessarily go well. But he has proven himself to be a really good coach, one of the better coaches in the history of the NBA. So, I mean... I don't have an issue with them hiring him. I don't have an issue with them wanting him to make it his team or have his input on it. I mean, that's all fair. If they want to trade Boogie, that's their problem. I mean. I I just don't know. I'm interested to see if they trade him. Is it going to be Boston? Well, I I think right now, though, if they trade him, I mean. I don't know what the return would be like. What does keeping him actually achieve? I mean, yeah. what does it achieve right now? It's because it's a mess. Like, it's a big mess. I mean, well, when you say what does what does trading for Boogie get? I mean, I'm sure first of all it gets you the Nets unprotected first round pick. Do you think next it year. does? Do you it think has it does? To. It has to. That's and Ben Simmons. Cel- and I think the That's Celtics. Ben Simmons. Yeah, and this is Boogie Cousins, and he's proven. I know. And, like, I mean, this is what we talked about. This is guys who can already yeah. play, contribute in major ways. Have shown what they can do in the NBA. Or a lottery ticket, which is what any what any rookie is. Even look at Jabari as as a Bucks fan. Jabari was still is a lottery ticket because he had the injury. What if he got injured again? Nobody wants that to happen, obviously. But that's the risk. Boogie. I mean, he's got goes, health issues, but he hasn't got real injury. I mean, no meningitis. You can't expect him to yeah, get exactly. meningitis. Yeah, exactly. But he hasn't got a chronic injury history. He's no. proven. On a terrible team with all sorts of variety of coaches, what he can do in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, if he was to be sent to Boston playing under Brad Stevens, reunited with Isaiah Thomas, I don't know how they felt about each other towards the end. Um, but I, I mean, mean that's, I, that's I don't. A, Boston can get over it if if Isaiah Thomas can't fit on the team anymore. I don't think that's going to stop it. Just, no, but I think they could be good together again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think they. I think under an actual really good coach, yeah. Uh, um, and Boston are the perfect example, and this is sort of fresh in the mind, having having watched them last night once again, with last night being Tuesday. But they're the perfect example of what I was saying earlier as well. I love Jay Crowder. Um, yeah, he's great. Jay Crowder is just he's just a basketball player. He doesn't have to do sort of this thing particularly well or that thing particularly well. He's smart. He's a basketball player. He helps your team to win without necessarily going and grabbing stats. Yeah. And this is just such an emphasis on stats. But the Celtics do a really good job of 
sort of bring those sort of guys together. And if you can bring those guys together and then put Boogie Cousins in the middle of it, that's sort of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at it right now. The trade's so easy to see right away. David Lee and Boogie almost match salaries 100%. So, I mean, then at least Sacramento has a guy to throw in. I mean, they could move. Uh, it doesn't matter what they do, actually. If, if they lose Boogie, it really doesn't matter. But they need draft picks because they gave up two pick swaps and an unprotected pick, I want to say, or a protected pick to clear cap room to sign Rondo in one of the worst trades of the entire offseason. Well, that was the Stauskas dump. It was like Stauskas and Carl uh, Landry, I think. And it's just like, why? Why would what you do all that for Rajon Rondo? See, I was going to say, but they actually don't have salary probably to do it. I was going to say, what about the Sixers for Boogie? Because they could actually give players back. I like mean, if I was the Kings, like if we're talking about what Embiid is now, if I was the Kings in a trade for Boogie, I think I'd take Embiid. I wouldn't. No way. No, as in part of a deal, though. I mean, they're not oh, getting they're not getting yeah. equal value back. But I mean, the Sixers obviously have picks they could give if if you got they could dump that Lakers pick finally. Yeah, the, that Lakers pick and Embiid, and maybe obviously you'd need more to make salaries work. But oh my! Fun fact: Embiid's the second highest played, second highest paid player on the Seventy Sixers. This is this is the problem with any sort of 76ers deal is nobody makes any money, so you have to give away half the team to match a star's salary. Yeah. Yeah, it's it'd be really hard. They I mean, I don't think they can trade Carl Landry back to them, can they? Isn't that a rule? Not within a certain period of time. Yeah. Um, so they're not gonna trade Okafor or Nerlens Noel. No one else makes more than two point eight million, and that's Stoskis, and they can't trade him back either. <laughs> So they'd have to trade like Tony Roten, Robert. They, they couldn't. They literally could not do this trade. That might be the weirdest thing about the Sixers, then, because they, they have can't a trade re- for anyone. They now have a rebuild where they can't trade for stars. They have the cap space, but they can't trade for stars. So the rebuild is purely dependent on the drafts, which okay, that's gone pretty well so far. And then free agency, which isn't going to go well when you can't trade for stars. So I don't. know, Maybe that's not fair to either. I mean, this time next summer. Noel and Okafor with sort of a season together under the belt and with how they've started, maybe then people start to think, you know, there's something really good going on there. If they want to pay me the right money, I think about it. But yeah, it's it's funny because that's the sort of team that why are they doing all of that if not to be in position to put themselves in the mix for sort of yeah. at least all NBA sort of first team potentially caliber players, and yet they don't have players making enough money to match salaries so it's weird yeah i don't know if i've ever this is the first time i remember literally there being no way to make a trade work <laughs> like there's no i don't even think if you included okafor and noel you could and obviously they would never ever do that yeah i don't i don't think it can be done really no i think i mean there's some teams that could always find a way i wouldn't count out daryl Morey. there's some guys you look at like uh, Pat Riley, Daryl Morey, Mark Cuban, who it's like they'll 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 look into it if there's a superstar available. I mean, D- Daryl Morey. If you're talking about Daryl Morey, I mean, I mean Dwight Howard probably almost covers the salary right Dwight, there. But Dwight for boogie, but I, I mean, don't think they have picks. 
Sacramento wouldn't want to do. I mean, maybe they're dumb enough to do that, but it wouldn't help. Them. I don't think it's dumb. I don't think it's dumb at all because I mean, once again, it's what are they going to get back? I mean, do they think they're going to get a better return back with everyone knowing what the situation is there at the moment than Dwight Howard? That trade wouldn't work. Either. Plus, plus Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo, good friends. Oh, you mean wait till the free agency thing clears and then Rondo and and Boogie? No, I'm talking about if they found a way to do that deal. Oh, yeah. Then Rondo and Howard are friends. That's when they eventually then they go get Josh Smith. <laughs> they bring the, the old Oak Hill band back together. I mean, they could do that deal with... They could go trade for Brandon Jennings, too. He's going to be available. Yeah. The Pistons have trade chips. The Pistons are probably going to make a move. Not for Boogie, though. No, not for Boogie. No, they have Andre Drummond. They a star, a star at any other position, yeah, but not for Boogie. No. No, they need themselves a a four. I think at any position, if they had a real, like, I mean, a, a real top-level superstar, they'd consider it. Oh, I like, don't think I, they have the ammo to go get someone like that. I mean, that why couldn't they put together a like a, a Nuggets Knicks deal like they did for Melo? I mean, they've got those sort of good, multiple good players that they could pass up. It's just whether you want to do that for the superstar because we saw, like, that's the problem with Melo at the Knicks is that trade actually gutted the team he was going to. I mean, if, yeah. if, he, if he could have gone to the team that still had Gallinari and Wilson Chandler, and I'm trying to think who else, there was someone else as well. Um, but some of those sort of really good pieces, well then... Oh, it was... Uh, um, Mozgov. Yeah, Mozgov. I mean, if, if those guys... That's three really good players. Um, if they could have found a way to make all of that work, even some of it, just keep one of those guys held out a little bit, it would have made a big difference, or it wasn't to be. How do you feel about the uh, the mellow trade I, I posited to you the other day? Yeah, you you think I can was, I can see it. You think the Mavs could be a the Mavs, the Dallas Mavericks? Because I think Mark Cuban is in complete NACL salt mode right now. He might be the saltiest. Have you seen this new DeAndre Jordan thing? The devil masks in the paper was it that? Or? No, I, I don't. I haven't even seen that. I don't know what that is. They're printing DeAndre Jordan masks with like devil horns on them in oh. the papers in Dallas today for people to bring to. To the game tonight. That's, that's all too much. No, apparently, Mark Cuban. There's this quote I've seen all over. It's I've I have saved all of my texts with DeAndre Jordan, and I might release them. I didn't know Mark Cuban was like a, a college that's a, age. That's, that's like a, a. That's literally the opposite of what Cyberdust is. <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it's all a genius Cyberdust ad. Like, look, if we had used Cyberdust, this wouldn't be possible. If DeAndre Jordan used Cyberdust. All his personal. Conversation with me wouldn't be public. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to be this childish out in public. Yeah, I loved it. it. Was actually, I think it was on the Low Post, wasn't it? Where he did later in the summer, 
and um, where he actually came on and spoke about it. But so much of it just ended up him talking about Cyberdust. Cyberdust, yeah. And trying to get Zach Lowe to join Cyberdust and <laughs> things like that. And it was like that was that part was the most. That was probably Zach Lowe will get awkward a lot. That was probably the most hilariously awkward part of the entire Lowe post was Zach Zach Lowe trying to not offend Mark Cuban without signing up for Cyberdust. All like, he wanted oh. to talk about was Shark Tank. That's all Zach Lowe wanted to talk about. But yeah, Zach Lowe loves that show, but Mark Cuban loves Cyberdust. No, the the mellow trade is Carmelo Anthony for Chandler Parsons and Devin Harris, which is, I mean, the Knicks having Carmelo Anthony right now doesn't really make sense. I think Chandler Uh, Parsons is a lot younger. I think it's started really well. Now, he hasn't started as well as everyone seems to think, just because this is where I have problems with, I was going to say NBA fans, but it's just sports fans in general is, just because you make big highlight plays doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you're a really good player. And um, you could be a good player, but there's a difference between that. I mean, everyone could have a team full of highlight players. Send the Harlem Globetrotters to the NBA, and they will get <laughs> absolutely beat down every night. So it's completely irrelevant. And um, doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of wins. But yeah, Porzingis has looked good and should be able to become a good player. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think it works for everybody. I think. I think. It, I think there needs to be a first round pick in that as well. For who? For the Knicks? For the Knicks, yeah. I don't know. Carmelo if Anthony. Has a pick. Is, Carmelo Anthony is still Carmelo Anthony. I mean, he is. Like Devin Harris. Devin I mean, Harris. Devin Harris is it? Yeah, he's a. I know they need a point guard, and he's he's actually a really underrated and still steady, reliable point guard, but. I don't know. I'm not quite seeing it, like just straight off. Maybe if they, I definitely if that they get still a feels that still feels too much like you're too mellow for Chandler Parsons, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just Chandler Parsons is overpaid, but that trade still gives New York a lot of salary flexibility. Yeah, uh, that's but then and it makes them younger. What, that's what, what they is, need. What is salary flexibility? I mean, that's what we saw with them this summer. They couldn't get Greg Monroe, for example. So, I mean, what does that matter? Because it's not going to get easier to attract players without Mellow. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. You almost, there's a way you kind of just use that against yourself. Because they were, what, like a 15-win team last year when they couldn't get anyone? Milwaukee was a 41-win team. The Knicks might win 41 games with this trade because Mellow hasn't even been Melo has not been crazy good for them. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't think he's a, a worse player than Chandler Parsons and Devin Harris combined, but I think those two spread over their their five positions might help out a little bit more. Hollinger thinks they're getting eight wins worse. I don't particularly agree, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think if they'd come out and win forty games or forty one games, and then they have Devin Harris slash Langston Galloway, Aaron Aflalo, Chandler Parsons, Porzingis, and Robin Lopez, I mean, they they might be able to go get someone. Yeah, I mean, like the deal makes so much sense for for Dallas. Yeah, that it's you sort of try, want to want to have it make sense for both sides, just because it'd be fun to see, and it would yeah. throw another sort of real force into the mix in the West come playoff time. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know for the Knicks. I'm having a look at other players. Like, there's no one else that could really be thrown in as well. No. Then what? What is a? 
like particularly if you're selling sending Melo that way, what is Carmelo Anthony or what is a sorry, what is a first round pick from the Mavs? I don't know if they have one, but if they did, I don't know what does it equate to anyway. I mean, that, it might need a third team involved. Yeah, they'd, they'd have to go get one because I'm pretty sure Mike Cuban just refuses to even have draft picks. When's the last time they've drafted anyone? Dwight Powell this year? Was that? Was that this year or last year? What, this year, I think. When's the last time they drafted someone who's been important to their team? Like, they they just refuse to do it. It's all free agency and trades. Even Dirk was well, a trade. That, he actually, that, that low post, he talked about that again, and it was like, much like what I was saying earlier, it's, he doesn't want to take that lottery sort of ticket. I mean, he'd rather, yeah. he'd rather deal in proven commodities. Yeah. One thing that, especially when during this Celtics game, the one thing everyone, the big, the, the main story of the game was, look, the, the Celtics have a better bench. I'm talking about belt Bucks Celtics. I just started thinking of this again because of Rondo and Mavericks and Rondo. I don't know. My train of thought doesn't make any sense. But the biggest storyline from that game for a lot of people was just the Celtics bench was better, and that's true. They're berided for not having a star, but they do have, like, 12 guys who are all at least bench-level guys, and they showed that depth. I thought the Bucks looked outcoached. And I know Brad Stevens is like the hot-button, sexy coaching love choice right now. Like everyone, everyone around the league, whenever the Celtics come up, the first or second thing is, but they do have that Brad Stevens. And that's true. He's a very good coach. But I don't think Jason Kidd, who's also seen as a very good coach, should be getting outcoached that hard. Like, I don't think Jason Kidd is in that Brad Stevens league right now. What's the top I, tier of coaches? Rick Carlisle, Brad Stevens, Pop, Bud? Uh, I'd probably divide my coaching tree up into more tiers than a lot of people. Um, Are those the top four? I don't think I have Brad Stevens in the top tier. He might just be below it, but I'd probably put Jason Kidd below that again. Um, Jason Kidd's a good coach, don't get me wrong. Um, his turnaround with the books was obviously really impressive. Ah, there's so many things, though, that just don't feel right to me when I watch Jason Kidd teams play. I talked about this a little bit before, but I just, it's not like it's only when he plays Brad Stevens that I get a feel that he's being out coached. It was interesting in the broadcast last night. Um, I think it might have been Marcus Johnson. Maybe it was Gus Johnson. But one of them, there was a... He was certainly named Johnson. Yeah, it was a Johnson. And there was an after-time outplay late in the game, late enough, maybe when the books were still technically in it, maybe sort of latter part of the third quarter. Um, but one of them remarked, are we going to get one of Jason Kidd's famous drawn-up sort of set plays from this? And I was sort of laughing to myself and thinking about it because this is something I said before. I just, I don't see them very often. And the play resulted, of course, in this really nice, um, <laughs> this nice, easy layup for Tyler Ennis. I think Johnny O'Brien ended up setting a screen. Yeah. But it didn't look like it was what they intended to <laughs> run at all. It just sort of, there was some nice improvisation by Ennis. Oh, maybe O'Brien set the screen wrong and it worked out for Ennis to get past him and it looked like this really easy layup. But it just didn't look like it was as it was drawn up. I don't know. 
maybe I'm not giving kids imagination enough credit and I've done that before. His most famous play, I guess, to fit that mould is the Jared yeah. Bayless layup. Yeah, um, Dudley to Bayless to win game five or four. Win game five, I think. It was game um, five. And as I've said on that play before, the way I look at it is if Kid drew that up like that. He's nuts. He's nuts. He's got to be nuts. That pass has no right to go through Joaquin Noah's arms and probably <laughs> we'll say 80 times out of 100 it doesn't and that's game over. It just so happened that it came off, Derek Rose fell asleep and those things look like a really well drawn up play. But that was more quick thinking of Dudley Bayless being aware to his surroundings and being able to convert it. Um, I don't know. I think it's funny because like books fans are in a strange place right now because results are okay. Okay. They're at 500. Most people would probably expect them to be above it again tonight. Um, as we record and that's by beating the nuggets in Denver. If that happens, I mean, above 500 in sort of the playoff mix in the East, it sounds like sort of right on track. There's a couple of things with that. One, the schedule hasn't been strong. That doesn't bother me as much, though, because, look, that can happen. You can lose to lesser teams, beat better teams. The problem for me is the Bucks haven't put one good game together yet. Not one. Um, They'll always have a quarter off. I feel like they're always starting fast. There's been a lot of fast starts, going back to opening night even. They'll come out of the block super fast. You'll go, wow, this is going to be, this is the dominant performance. I've, I can think of three games where I've, I've started thinking that. And then it all falls apart, much like it did last night. And you can verify this tight in the middle of that Celtics game was probably early part of the third quarter. Maybe it was an eight-point yeah. game. Yeah. Well, it was even closer. I think it was like six or four. But I, it, it might be closer. Well, I said to you, this is this has blowout all over it. Yeah. It just it just felt like the wheels were going to come off because there was no there was no plan of action. Yanis was having foul trouble. He wasn't quite in gear. Like there wasn't a savior there to take it over, and it wasn't like there was a plan B to go and adjust to that. And I've seen people say that on offense at times. You're you look at it and you're like, okay, they didn't score there, but if you're to actually stop and deconstruct it and go, what was the goal of that play, or what are they trying to do to score the basketball? It doesn't feel like there's a set sort of idea in place. Like there's plenty of teams where you go and play them, you know, well, look, their plan A is going to be to get baskets this way. And I'm not talking about players because this is something, once again, book fans do like to do, and it's understandable. Giannis could be a complete superstar. He's playing a lot like that now. You need more of a game plan, though, than let Giannis score. More yeah. usage for Giannis. Just give Giannis the ball and let him do everything. That doesn't work. This is the NBA. This the, really, like, unless there's only one guy in the league probably that works for now, and that's LeBron James, and Giannis is not on that level yet. You need, no. like, I, I think personally Giannis will do better within a system when it's like you've got to look out for all five guys. The books could score in this many ways. And then because the other team is trying to concentrate on all the different ways you can score, when it gets to Giannis, they don't have time to react in that split second. He's passed them. That's an easy dunk. And that, that sort of thing. I just, I don't know right now if the roster is being utilized in quite the right way. And that sounds crazy because we're really early in the season. 
But I think that applied to last season too. And when everyone gets healthy and we run on a little bit, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, this season, it wasn't about instant success for the books. At the same time, if it doesn't go as planned, even if it's just sort of a little disappointing, if there's not sort of big performances, which they got a lot of last year, I do think some fans will start to go, but is Jason Kidd quite as good as maybe you thought he is? He's a good coach, but like a lot of the talk, the GM talk and that sort of yeah, thing. In particular, that was weird. Like, it's way too premature. I don't think he's shown himself to be a good enough coach yet to warrant trusting him fully with the basketball side of things as well. Prove, you know, all your adjustments from the sidelines before you start thinking of from the front office as well. I don't know. It's just my thoughts. You could prove me completely wrong. Um, I'm just, I'm not sold. I'm really not sold. I feel like his work with substitutions is really terrible sometimes. Like he'll just leave. He won't call a timeout. So just leave some units out there and they just get worked. Like they just get smacked. And that those are the ebbs and flows of the game that get out of control for Milwaukee. I feel like that happens a lot. And you can say there's injuries right now, and that's true. But then you'll see guys like Damian Anglaise and Rashad Vaughn not getting into the game at all. It's like, all right, if, if, if Grievous Vasquez is 0 for 9, maybe try somebody else. Yeah, I, I mean, there's two sides to that. I don't... That's just – Vasquez is just one example. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even talking Vasquez. Vasquez is one part of that where I don't, I don't necessarily feel he's shooting 0 for 9 early in the season when new team pull him. Because you've got to let him find his feet. And as I said on our winning six pod the other day, I'd rather see that happen early in the season than late in the season. So I'm all for sort of, if it ends up that you're sort of punting on a few games, not just for one player, but if it's Vasquez and, and say Jabari to get his feet under him, things like that. If you're doing that, do it early. Inglis and Vaughn. Vaughn, Vaughn hasn't let him down once. That's the one thing I'd say. Every time Vaughn comes in, He'll make a three-pointer. He'll sort of loosen up the flow of the offense a little bit better. I mean, he hasn't let him down once. So Vaughn, I can see. Inglis, I was really disappointed in Inglis last night. He looked he looked like a player who's as new to basketball as he is. And this is something that was my thing with Inglis and all the excitement around them from before the season. At least for Vaughn, Vaughn has gone through a college system. He's gone through a super competitive high school system. And he's been coached and sort of had fundamentals built into him from a young age. Ingles looked a little lost at times last night, particularly on defense, which is what we keep hearing is going to be his strong point. Now, his instincts, his fundamentals, not his fundamentals, but I guess it's his instincts. His instincts are there and his natural sort of his natural gifts in terms of his length. They're there to make him a good defender. Just awareness, though. Once again, this is an issue with all young guys, so you can't completely sort of tear him down for it, but not quite there. I mean, the thing for me with Kid and his substitutions, he gets away with it a lot because the starting five is so good, and I think he knows that his starting five has so much talent that Against lesser teams, he can get away with it. I think that was the thing for me. Last night, it felt like Kid sort of thought, you know what, I don't need to take time out or bring these guys in yet. Let them keep resting because we already know that starting five against starting five, the Celtics are not match for us. And that's what it felt like because is 
up 12, I think, when Jabari took a seat. Then Giannis went down with foul trouble just after it in the first quarter. And then the other three guys went soon after. I'd like to see him stagger guys more. There's a real feel of first unit, second unit. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I feel like if you have, like, if especially if you're top-heavy, you should stagger it. You know, sit Monroe down a little earlier and keep Middleton and Giannis out there. Yeah, and the other thing with that, and this is something I was thinking last night, and Bayless has been great so far this season. He's better. Yeah. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for Bayless, they might only have like one or two wins. Look, Bayless Honestly. has been really good, but I hate seeing Bayless, particularly in two guard lineups. I don't know what it is. I just think it all goes wrong in in two point guard lineups with Bayless on the floor, and that's not necessarily being his fault because he played with Vasquez in a lot of it. But I I don't think it works. I just. Like, I don't, he's shooting the tree ball well, so it might be a little bit easier to make it work than it is at other times, but I just don't think that's an effective way to win games. Like, I'd rather see MCW, Bayless, Vasquez, Ennis have their minutes split up a little bit more and have some nights where maybe Bayless doesn't play or Ennis doesn't play much, Vasquez doesn't play, but sort of stagger them in that way. I just really don't like Bayless when... He's playing with another point guard, and when he plays off the ball, it just doesn't feel comfortable. I know that might just be me, but no, that's think... the sort of that's the sort of thing that it's like. Just don't you don't have to do that. I mean, you could break it up a little bit more, play Middleton a little bit longer in his first stint, and have Vasquez come in beside him, or have Bayless come in beside him, and then. A little while later, maybe if you're going to do the two-point guards, do it very briefly and then give Vaughn a few minutes. And then by the time Vaughn's done, you're bringing Middleton back in or whatever. And that's just the way. It's just staggering. It's You're using your rotation. You're getting through the guys you have available to you. You're just doing it maybe a little bit smarter. Yeah. Like, instead of having a full second unit, like, Jason Kidd doesn't take advantage of the positional fluidity, and that's a term I'm going to make a real thing. I invented it. It sounds really nice. This team has a lot of positional fluidity. Like you said, people see Chris Middleton as a three. Even if we don't think he's a full-time three, he can certainly play there for a while. Slide him over instead of taking him out if someone, if Giannis or Jabari or both needs a break. You know, play Giannis at center for a little while if you have to. But keep some of these guys in. You can't – if they take out Middleton, Giannis, and Monroe right now, and if Jared Bayless isn't going crazy like he has at some times, it just feels like there's not a playmaker left who's going to yeah, do but anything. This is the thing, and I hate to, to bring Hawks up again. Um, not as much as probably everyone listening hates to bring Hawks up again. <laughs> but that's something the Hawks did pretty much throughout last year, and it started as something that they were doing because Horford was coming back from injury and he was being worked back up to health it's the sort of thing the Bucks could do with Jabari or they could do with Middleton and the way Coach Bud would do it Horford would be the first guy to sit I mean he'd sit super quick it might be seven minutes left in the first quarter Horford would sit he'd come back in then at about the two minute mark of the first quarter and he'd be the anchor for the second unit yeah well, so that's then, a good idea too and like then he comes out and by the time you get to the second half, then you can revert back to more having all starters on the floor together. But what that meant was, and the Hawks had some young players last year, much like the Bucks would this year. Say, for example, you weren't giving the keys to the offense over to Dennis Schroeder completely and hoping it was a good night rather than a bad night and there was something still intact for your starters when they came back. Because you had, in that case, 
possibly your best player and definitely the team leader on the floor with those bench guys. So not only was he there as an option for them, but he was there as someone to keep it in check. And that's what stops the sort of 20-point turnaround when the bench come in that the Hawks had, or that the Bucks had between quarter one and quarter two last night. And I like, I don't think that's that revolutionary. Maybe it is to NBA traditionalists, but if that's Giannis even, I mean, what it doesn't matter when they're on the floor together. The idea is to win a game. And even for people who like to see stats, if you're playing the same amount of minutes, it doesn't matter exactly when they come. So why couldn't Giannis be the guy who sits five minutes into the game, build up a good start, let Giannis sit, get some rest. And then when the second unit come in for the opposing team, they all of a sudden have to deal with Giannis and your second unit is anchored by him. Right. I mean, it's not it's not sort of rocket science. I mean, you can mix a match like that, and that's how to not only make your rotations better, but to make the opposition work really hard. And that sort of thing, it messes with opposing coaches because all of a sudden they see that sort of player in, and they adjust their own rotations. Things get cut out. Guys end up playing more minutes than they should, less minutes than they should. Players don't exactly know where they're fitting within it because coaches say maybe like Jason Kidd, who would normally like to play really set rotations, they have to be a little bit more reactive. And there's just real sort of benefits to that. That I don't know. Like It's easy to say the book's bench is bad. Well, then why not realign how we look at that? And let's term it as a second unit and have one of the best five players in your second unit. As in, they can start the game, give them early rest, let them go and get to work then with the bench. Yeah. Because right now, I mean, you're seeing bench lineups. It would be like Bayless, Vasquez, Copeland's in the doghouse now, but we'll say Mayo when he comes back. Johnny O'Brien, John Henson. That lineup will get torched. Like, if you play that, all five of them, and there's any starters for the other team in the game, like that lineup's just not going to hold up, especially on defense. Like, you need to stagger that more. But like, I, I feel like that only needs one extra player because it is. If, if all of a sudden you have a unit on the floor that has, say, Bayless or Vasquez with Middleton and Henson, I mean, then that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, yeah. you've got, you've got three you guys. There's different skill sets and there's different ways you can score points. You could, you could easily make the, the bench unit Vasquez or Bayless, Mayo, Middleton, J.O.B. Henson, and all of a sudden, that's not a terrible. That's not a bad unit. Like that, 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 those five guys can survive. Those five guys should beat most teams, like uh, in terms of second unit. So, like that, you do things like that, and you can come into a second half with a good lead. And that's the problem for the books is they're building up good first quarter leads. Leads virtually gone by half time, and third quarter. I don't know. I actually haven't looked at the numbers, which is maybe a little bit irresponsible of me, but. I test wise, it feels like third quarter is a rough time for the Bucks. That's when they got smoked by the Celtics. It is when they got smoked by the Celtics. I don't know, was it the Nets or the Sixers? It was one of those games where I think one of those teams got right back into it then as well. Um, the bench minutes in this team, this team is just really weird. Bayless played thirty minutes, Vasquez played twenty, and then everyone else played thirteen or less. Like, why spread that out? I mean, this was a blowout, so this is a little different than normal. But even in normal games, I feel like too many people get involved. Like, I don't think you need five bench guys getting involved each game. Maybe five. No more than five. 
I think you can get away with four. I mean, especially if you, if you have five good bench guys, you can. I don't think the Bucks have five guys right now that should get in the games that often. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm not wrong on this either. So in terms of third quarter points, um, the Bucks are ranked 29th in the NBA yeah. at 22.5. And let's see, so compare that to the first quarter, where the books rank eight in the NBA at 26.1. Hmm. I mean, there's your fast starts, and there's it all falling apart later on. It's just just about adding some creativity to that, and there's just too much black and white. As you said, for a team where literally every player is like a gray area, I mean, you, you can make this roster into whatever you want it to be, Right. There needs to be more taking advantage of that and not thinking of things in a strict sort of starting five terms. I mean, this is the thing. Even six man is different than he used to. If you look what Isaiah Thomas does for the Celtics. Well, he starts now, which is weird. He doesn't always, though. But, I mean, even when he when he comes off the bench, he's a guy you still expect to get 20 points a game. And that's like the real extreme end of what a six man does. Yeah. I mean, that's that's... A coach, and look, we're talking about Stevens, but that's someone who realizes uh, it doesn't really matter if he's a starter or not, if he's on the, the court to begin with. If he gets 20 points a game and we win games because of it, that'll do the trick. That's what it's about. It's not about having everything look neat and tidy from a stats point of view. It's about winning games. So you sort of stagger that or you make it work for whatever does the best for you. Who was it on our own site that wrote, it's not the most – he looked at the, the finishing five. That's what matters more than the starting five. Was that behind the Bucks? Was that in a Royal – that might have been in a Royal Paint article. Yeah, I don't remember that one at all as a Bucks That piece, might be so. in a Royal Paint article. I don't remember exactly who wrote that. Whoever did, back when I edited a Royal Paint, that was a good article. I still think about it to this day. I'm going to have to give that person credit on Twitter later. I, I want to say I know who it is, but I'm not positive. But that's the important thing, right? It's, it really is matters who finishes the game more than who starts it. But starts is the stat everyone looks at. You know, I, I, I'm inclined to disagree with that. Even I think what matters most is who plays in the middle of the game. <laughs> well, if it's, a, if it's a close game, whoever finishes it matters. But for if it's it a to, close game. For it to be a close game, it's it's what's happened in between that, I mean, gets you there. I mean, I think you worry about the end at the end. The problem is if you end up in a place where you're playing yourself out of games before that, I mean, and that's that's the problem with having your strongest quarter at the start is the opposition of literally all the time available to them to get back into it. So for me, I think, like, obviously you want to be winning fourth quarters, but if I could have a team that won second and third quarters consistently, I'd take that. If you're winning sort of the real meat of the game, then I don't know what generally the teams who will dictate the middle section of the game are the dominant team, the team that comes out on top. I mean, otherwise you're setting yourself up for say, maybe a team coming back with a big run towards the end, but that sort of thing can happen. It's a freak occurrence. I take winning the middle portion of games. I think that will put you in the best position to win games overall. And so that's for me, yeah, 100%. I've sold myself on my own idea right now. The middle, it doesn't matter who starts or who finishes. It matters who plays in the middle. Yeah, not even that specific on a, 
As in, it matters who plays. I want, I want to see more sort of crossover between the starters and the second unit. And if Kid likes sort of routine and I know things to stay consistent, that can just be one guy. But I'd like to see someone sort of embedded in as the leader. That's the guy who you trust. You go, okay, you are the guy. Go and get it. I think Middleton could be that guy um, if you're doing it in second unit. They could just as easily do it with Yanis. And against the second unit, maybe that's the way where you build Yanis' confidence to a whole new level. He's playing lesser guys, so maybe he can hone in some of the looser aspects of his game a little bit better again. I don't know. I just think it's common sense. Yeah. I think something needs. I just don't think a lot of people write off these early losses because one is early, and two is there's injuries right now on the team and everything. Jabari is still coming back. Henson's still only playing 10, 10 minutes a game, which hasn't really been talked about that much. And uh, obviously OJ is still out. Which how funny is it now that OJ Mayo being injured is being pointed to as like the biggest development ever? Like there's a lot of people who wanted to trade him for cap space. Yeah, these, who, these, who are those people? Those people um, were me, but like <laughs> those people, people, those people were me. I was, I was. To be fair, OJ started to win me over preseason, and the longer it goes, this is the epitome of absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, I mean, the longer we go without seeing OJ Mayo actually play and do OJ Mayo things, the more important he becomes to to the books. There's rumors yeah. he may. I don't know. These are rumors from earlier in the day. It might have changed since. There's rumors he may make the trip to Denver and play tonight. I don't know if that's changed, but... It's going to be so disappointing when he comes back and goes, like, one for three with two assists and a turnover. When Right now, like, it, it legitimately sounds like people think O.J. Mayo is the difference between wins and losses. No like, more two assists. This is double-double O.J. Mayo. That's This is the era we live in. First, first game back from an injury will not be minutes enough for double-double O.J. Mayo. You don't know that. You just you just wait and see. Okay, but it's my favorite thing because this Bucks team has so many guards. Like one missing guard, who's not even Michael Carter Williams, is the big problem here. I think it's a little funny. It's a little funny, at least. Yeah, I mean, this team with eight or ten guards missing one of them, not one of the best four, is the biggest problem on this team. The biggest thing for me with the books, and this is like with the books in general, as an organization, as a coaching staff, as a fan base, and this is a, at one point I was an outsider. I think I'm probably not anymore. But having come into that whole world, more than other teams that maybe I've, I've followed closely or dipped into before, like it's fringe guys that Milwaukee fans get so, so bogged down in and obsessed over. Like right now, I feel it should be. Michael Carter-Williams is still injured. And I know there's a lot of Michael Carter-Williams talk, don't get me wrong. But it's like everyone is more like, oh, Inglis is so good. And, (laughs) oh, we miss OJ so much. And why are we talking about Johnny O'Brien? Or Johnny O'Brien is the greatest player ever, which we are guilty of falling into one of those categories. I still believe that. I Like those players... In in the grand scale of things, they don't matter. Literally, don't matter. Inglis, <laughs> hate to break it to everyone. Inglis doesn't matter. He really, he's not. He's not going to start. Adam's been holding this in for literally almost a year. I don't think I held that in. I think any time we've talked about Inglis, I've 
I've let go. And he's a good player, but I don't think you've ever said he doesn't matter. I think this is the first time that's come up. Like he doesn't. I mean, he's not going to be better than Middleton or Yanis or Jabari. If those guys are healthy, you're not going to be gone. Oh, I'm so glad we've got Damian Inglis. I mean, they only matter if you're actually about to win a championship because you do need good depth. But even then, they don't you because do you can go. Yeah, you can find good depth and you're about to win a championship. That's, well, no, I don't. I don't mean in the off season. I mean like in in the season. Yeah, you can still you can get you can get old guys in off the street who want to win championships. It's, you can get it's important to who you bring in to your bench. That does matter. Look but at say right how it's not most. It's not very important, but it matters. Look at the Rockets last year and how the Rockets finished their season. Okay, didn't ultimately pay off, but. Yeah, they were in a win-now mode, and they picked up Josh Smith, who was great for them. They picked up Corey Brewer, I'm going to say, was that trade last year? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was. I think I thought he started the season with them. I'll Google. I I thought there was two guys. I could be wrong, but I thought there was two guys and that he was one of them. But, I mean, that's the sort of situation. You can just – you can get guys. If you're that close to winning a championship, teams are going to to come and join they, they they probably lost because they didn't get enough guys. They didn't have the depth. I wrote about this. They fell apart because James Harden was literally too exhausted to play good basketball anymore. I'm right, by the way. He was acquired on the 19th of December, which is oh, okay. pretty close to when Josh Smith was waived by the Pistons as well. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. English doesn't matter. That's, let's not get sidetracked here. That, that's what the point was. He's nice. He could be a nice player. I mean, it's good to have. He'll develop. He's not the second coming of Giannis. Oh, I hated that so much. That was my least favorite thing because that, that takes away from how good Giannis is and how good Giannis can be. I don't want. I don't want to tear down on Inglis. I, I've done it already. I don't want to do he anymore. Did look, he did look bad against. Everyone looked bad against the Celtics. That was a depressing game. All I don't think any member of the Bucks came away looking better after that game. That's because the Celtics were bad. Yeah, like, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas was one for ten from three. He was terrible. Like, Their best player was terrible, and they still demolished. They the Bucks. they had nothing. They shouldn't have had anything. And even early on, like the Bucks were shooting the lights out, and the game was close, and the Celtics weren't able to score. And you're like, the numbers basically make this look like it's impossible for it to be tied, but it is. I was watching that whole first part, and like you said, there were parts where the Celtics did not look great at all, and the Bucks looked really good. And I'm watching them. I'm like, is this what really great coaching looks like? Is that what this is? And well, I, I think, think that's is. why when you talk about that's why people like Brad Stevens so much, and it's it's that's also why people like Jason Kidd so much because Kidd did it last year. But I think personally that the Celtics cast of players is much worse. And was last year too. Yeah, I don't think they really had business making the playoffs at all. Like I, there's not one Celtic that I would take really. I don't think for the starting lineup of the books. I can think of one. Um, I, I think of one. If, I think about, and it's probably the one about, you suggest, and it's probably Mar- Marcus Smart. I was thinking, if you're still talking, like. Not for long term, just for right now. While Jabari's still rusty, maybe Amir Johnson, but not obviously. I wouldn't want to trade Jabari for Amir Johnson just right now. I think he's too big. I think I like, think they might need that because they're the Bucks rebounding is terrible. 
I think if the books go that route, I mean, that's they can just as easily play John Henson there. But the problem and the reason the Raptors could play Amir and Jonas Valanciunas was they had like super spacing and sort of dynamic scoring from guys like Kyle Lowry, DeRozan, occasionally Terrence Ross. So, I mean, I think that's why they could get away with that. That's the problem is the books don't have that a point guard. They may have it a small forward shooting guard, um, but I think that's the problem on that side of it. I'm worried about their how many offensive rebounds they give up. I'm very worried about that because you can be better in almost every other part of the game. But if you give teams second chances, I think 15 against Boston. I mean, they don't need to be. They can be a little worse than you if you give them that many more shots. I mean, I sound like a broken record because this is like what I said on Giannis, but like a lot of the detail like that just doesn't worry about me about this team right now because like shooting, I think they might have got a little bit better as a shooting team. I think rebounding, they've got better even if it's not necessarily translating. I just need to see them put a whole game together. I just need to see the consistency and sort of... Part of it is part of often... You don't need to be a great rebounder to get defensive rebounds. You just need to box out. And they're not boxing out well. That's something every NBA team should do well. They're just, not, very, just, they're just not clinical, Tide. I think that's the thing. Like They just don't have sort of a killer instinct in them at the moment. When they get a big run, it's like and whether that's on maybe Kid for part of it, but he's like, oh, great, a big run. Now I can rest the starters and know that we might not be behind when they come back in. And it's like then a lot of the guys on the floor, they're just sort of happy to sort of plod their way around and just sort of plot their way to try and score. And if they don't, the lead goes. All it takes is a couple of turnovers and it's gone. Where it's like, if you get to a 10-point lead, go and open up an 18-point lead. Yeah, you can't let your foot off the gas. You know, go make it 20. Because if you're at 10, you're within reach of killing the game. And that's what happens. That's what happened to the books last night because they had big leads. Um, but... It was the Celtics, I and mean, when the Celtics really put their foot down, and all of a sudden the game was around twenty points. You're like, "This is over," yeah. and that's what the books don't do. And it's, of course, all of those things. So that's when, in that spell, offensive rebounding becomes really important. The three point shooting becomes really important. But more than anything, it's just, uh, it's just a concert, concerted effort to just go and say. The game is now in our hands. We're going to take it away from the other team and finish it off, grab the W, and we're on to the next game. Like, we talk about rotations and who ends games. The ideal situation is that you have your worst players ending games because you're resting your starters because they put in such a good show and the game is long long over. I mean, that's the sort of thing that's, that's a nice scenario to find yourselves in. I don't know. They're just not finishing the game as they should. There's an interesting quote from Kid last night. Let me see. I have it here. Um, it was actually... I think I have it here. Uh, quote, quote pending here. Yeah, it was It was Aaron Johannes uh, from Brew Hoop. He had a Kid quote, which was, we've got to be patient. We're not as good as we think we are. We've got to find that hunger. To me, that's interesting, because I thought a lot of the time the books have looked hungry. We're not as good as we think we are. Well, he's the coach. Be. I feel like that. I feel like but I mean, he, be. but yeah, but he's the coach. So who he was telling them that. they were that good? I mean, start the season with a hunger and start the season thinking. Like I mean, 
He's been was, saying that all summer, by the way. This is not new. Yeah, but then if he's saying it all summer, why are the players coming into the season thinking they're better than they are? Like, he's saying that in public, but has he not been saying it in private? I mean... That could be a thing. Get the players to the point where we've got to find that hunger. They come into the season hungry. They come into the season feeling slighted or under underestimated, which the books could have because there was enough bulletin board material in people saying they're going to come sort of 10th in the East. They're going to miss the playoffs. They're going to take a step back. Yeah, There was that enough was of that out there. If you want to motiv- motivate the team to go in that direction, Kidd and his staff and some of the senior players who maybe sort of knew what they were doing, they could have spun it that way. So that, that to me was like, well, why do they think they're better than they are? Because what have they done? They ran the Bulls sort of close and then fell on their face when it mattered most. And why aren't they hungry? I mean, this is the young team who are supposed to be looking to own the future. It's young guys getting good opportunities that not doesn't happen at every team in the NBA. So, like, why is there a problem in terms of hunger? Go get it. I think Coach Kidd needs to channel Coach Kanye West from that Big Sean video, Focus. That's the only word he said in that whole music video. I can't say the name of the song on this podcast, but it's probably the most famous Big Sean video. I feel like they're not that focused right now. And I feel like that's a big problem. There's a lot of problems facing the Bucks right now. They'll probably work through some of them, hopefully. I mean, the schedule's going to get harder, so... It's going to be do or die. That's what it's going to be. I don't know. I'm, I don't know how optimistic I am. I mean, long-term, still, yes, especially after Giannis' start. But for this season, I mean, they're 10th in the East right now, and they just played some of the worst teams the East has to offer, and Boston. I mean, I think, I still think, like, the roster is good enough. Like I said before the season, I was like, yeah, this team can win 50 games. And I, I still think the roster is good enough for the team to win 50 games, but they've just got to figure it out between themselves, and Kidd has to as coach where everyone fits in the right place and they can work to what's best for them because they're not there right now. And that's that's there's been changes, big changes, key figures have left. They don't know exactly who they are right now, and that's the biggest problem. Yeah, they need an identity. They don't have one. And that's definitely, that's the point, because the, the identity last year was defense, and there's more of an offensive focus this year, but like that same thing goes... For, for something I mentioned earlier, but is what are they trying to do on offense? What is the team's offensive identity? On defense last year, it was switching. It was sort of using their intelligence and their length to just smother opponents. What are they looking to do on offense? It's not easy to tell looking on, so do the players actually know what their offensive strategy is or is it on a play-by-play basis? Because that may not necessarily work. Yeah, it's it's definitely not defense this year. Twenty six out of thirty teams in defensive rating so far, which is it's, this is the weird thing about the Bucks that their defensive rating they're ranked twenty sixth, their offensive rating fourteenth. Points per game scored by the Bucks twenty sixth, opponent points per game fifteenth. That's a weird little switch around, where they're not scoring that much, but they're efficient on offense, and they're not allowing that many points, but they're not efficient on defense. Maybe they'll settle out. That's that's odd. I don't know really how that comes about. Uh, the pace has been 29th, by the way. Just looking at some advanced stats right here. It's it's things have not been good. 
in general, basketball things around this team. At least they're not the Kings. There's always there's always that. At least they're not the Kings. That we're not gonna we're not gonna fire Jason Kidd in November. We're not gonna trade Giannis away. It could be worse. It could be a lot better. You could always be in Sacramento. It's always always an option for it to be worse. Yeah. I think that about wraps it up. Is there anything else you want to talk about real quick? We went way over the time I wanted to, but that's okay. No, I think I think that's it. I mean I, I think I think we can let you do a podcast next week. Yeah, I earned it. Yeah, I mean don't 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 go all books on us. Don't think you're better than you are. You're still you are still the backup podcast at behind the book pass, but no. I'm, I'm still you, Dennis Schroeder. I have you might, him, but I'm not there. Yeah, yet. you might. We yeah. might trade you soon, but you just work your way into all it. Right. And it'll be all right. As long as my stock's going up. That, that's it. This was the first episode of Time Out with Ty, the lesser official podcast of Behind the Book Pass. Adam McGee, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being my first guest. Thanks for teaching me how to do podcasts and write articles and do everything else in life. I don't want to take the blame for all that stuff, but thanks very much. (laughs) Yep, have a good one.